You are listening to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Catholic Exchange Podcast. This is Michael Litchens, your faithful editor here with CatholicExchange.com. And today I have two voices that will sound very familiar to you. I have Ken and Carrie Donaldson. Carrie, many of you might recall from when we talked about zombies with Daniel Stewart about uh, two months ago. She's also a frequent contributor to Catholic Exchange, Alatea.com, and runs a very popular blog, Clan Donaldson. Ken is her ever-faithful husband and usually the subjects of the embarrassing stories, and also a man who usually buys me beer when I'm down there, so I'm a fan of him. So, (laughs) Carrie, Ken, welcome to the podcast. Hi there, Michael. It's great to be here. It's great to have you guys here. Today I wanted to just uh, talk with you guys about something. It's something we've talked about with Healy Stewart on this podcast and is something that's always growing curiosity. You two are running what you call a homestead right now where you've actually bought a farm in Connecticut that I think is called Ghost Fawn. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, you start. <laughs> I always talk too much. You start this. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, a nine-acre farm in the quiet corner of Connecticut, which is the northeastern corner of Connecticut. Um, we call it a homestead. It's more of a hobby farm. I'm, I'm, we're not full-time farmers. I have a full-time job that uh, pays the bills and it can so we can afford this. And so we do all mm-hmm. kinds of farming to try to be a little bit more um, self-sustaining. We're, we're trying not to unplug completely from the grid and, and all the stuff around us, but we are trying to contribute more into what we eat uh, and what we take from uh, our, our surrounding environment and what we give back. Perfect. And you guys, uh, among the things you acquired, you guys actually have chickens, goats, though quite a few things. Like every time I come over down to the farm, it always seems like you guys have new <laughs> groups of animals who all have to live together in community. What do you own at the moment? Yeah. Um, that's part of having the farm. And that's one I didn't really understand like a, a farm, like what we have here and what we see around new England is to where there's a little bit of everything. It's not just a monocrop farm. I mean, I'm used to that as a corn farm or that is a soybean farm. And then I came to Connecticut and we saw, Oh, this is like the old McDonald's versions of the farm. I was just going to say old McDonald's. Yep, there's yes. pigs and chickens and you know, food all growing in one place. So I'm like, wow, that is really, really neat. That really exists. Yeah. And so we're kind of creating that uh, here. In fact, someone yesterday tried to give us a, a rabbit. <laughs> well, they tried to pawn their yes. ill-behaved rabbit off <laughs> on us. <laughs> I, I think we have to we have to tell them no. I I have no interest in rabbits. I mean, other yeah. than to eat it, and I've never eaten a rabbit. Yeah. I mean, it's not that I wouldn't eat a rabbit, but I'm, I'm not ready to eat a rabbit yet. Yeah, so everyone the, says they the taste like chicken. They do not. <laughs> They don't see that's good at all. I guess some animal hoarder reputation. We have the animal hoarder reputation. (laughs) Oh, you have saved animal. Send it to the Donaldsons. They'll take care of it. (laughs) I I guess so. Or they figure, you know, once you have six kids, you're you're clearly child hoarders. So animal (laughs) hoarders, not that big of a stretch. I don't know. Your grocery bill's already out there. Go ahead. Add on. (laughs) Have some more useless eaters. Well, except uh, unlike with your children, you can actually eat these animals eventually. Yeah, so, they do frown on eating the children, though. Uh, typically, that's something we frown upon. Right, modest proposal and all that. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to edit, edit any of this. What's so. <laughs> a zombie we'll podcast again? <laughs> What's the ultimate goal of acquiring all these animals, of growing items? on your land and i mean what do you guys see is really your goal and reason to do this 
touched briefly about it that we don't want to be self-sufficient. We don't want to unplug and be an island unto ourselves. We do, however, want to consciously unplug from big food um, and to really examine where our food comes from, not just because of, you know, like some hipster labels about, you know, fair trade and locally sourced, but because ultimately when you know where your food comes from and when you have a hand in growing that food, I think that ultimately only does good things for the dignity of the person, for for the human mm-hmm. worker. Um, so we want to plug from, from, you know, the big sort of chicken. It's a chicken that we've raised and we've taken care of and we know where it comes from. Um, pigs, I think we want to be self-sufficient in. You're looking at me funny. Well, I want to be <laughs> Which would mean we would need to know people in the community. And if not, you know, our immediate town, then someplace close that, you know, is raising pigs. So we can form that sort of relationship with them. Um, So we don't want to be self-sufficient, but we want to be locally dependent. How about that? It's an idea. And it also sounds like you guys want to have a little bit more community building. And this is part of the idea for homesteading and building up the farm. Is that right? Yes, exactly. We want to um, do farmers markets. There's lots of local farmers markets. And, you know, you Mm -hmm. can meet people there that you know in your community. We would like to do a small CSA, know people, you know, in our town and, and help them and form those relationships with them. It's wonderful. Uh, and then I think every question a parent would have is, how do your kids take to it? <laughs> People love asking that question. I mean, what what kid wouldn't love a farm and having access to all these animals that, that we have, you know, the chickens and the goats and the ducks? Mm-hmm. You know, all kids love that stuff. If you can remember petting zoos when, when I was a kid and they, they're still there and right. people kind of go to the farm and be like, oh, it's a fun little outing. Well, we have that field trip. The kids get to learn about a farm. It's fun. Um, the boys learn how to use lawnmower. Mm-hmm. They love that. So, yeah, they're, they're taken to everything that we, we You know, it's not just the, the animal portion that they like, too. It's it's the, the growing things. Um, at the beginning of spring, I took the kids, and they each got, each got to pick their own vegetable that they wanted to grow. And one of our sons, Jude, he picked broccoli, which just seemed drop of this soup and he kept saying this is my broccoli i i grew this this is my broccoli and i think it was so useful for them to really have a hand in their own food production because it sort of made the food more real like it wasn't just something that came out of a fridge and went into a microwave and into their mouth it was something that they had a role in right so they're actually participating actively in growing and raising their own food so i could see why that would give them a well anybody not just kids but anybody a great relationship to their food Yeah. Yeah. And it it became something that you were mindful of while you ate it. It wasn't just something that, you know, you just shoved in your mouth and chewed and swallowed. It was it was like a, you know, it it turned like that little bowl of soup into a feast. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, something I remember a monk was telling me he was living in a monastery out in Southern California and they grew a lot of their own items, but he especially grew his own hops for beer. And I asked him about what that made for beer. He's like, you appreciate every aspect of the brewing process, but even up to the planting of the seeds and cultivating the hops. And it gives you a mindfulness. And also what he said was a spiritual component. It was gratitude for the things you were able to enjoy because you knew what exactly what went into it. Uh, do you guys find that to be the same thing in your house? I do. Should we tell him about the pumpkins? Well, yeah, we can get to that. But the, yeah. Uh, it, it's hard to 
describe the connection you get without, you know, jumping full bore hippy dippy. But there is a, <laughs> a connection that's there. We are. We're going to sound hippie. So just embrace it. Because we just have this little corner of nine acres that we walk every day and minute changes we notice. And it's just like you can walk out there and you kind of get a feel for what, what's going on. You don't need to see anything, but you can just feel what's different that day. Yes, very much so. Oh, wait a minute. This smells a little bit different over here. Let me see what's going on or what you're raising or maybe you're you know, cultivating some field over here. And, and what you're doing, you, you notice it all. Um, it really does make you aware of how much change there is. Like you really are in like a stream of time and, and there's nothing that stays the same. And every day it's up to you to go out there and observe it and realize it. And you're just so full of gratitude that you get to be there, part of it. It it does. It sounds hippie, but it's true. <laughs> it does sound hippie, but it is also true. I can absolutely see that. And uh, something I have to tell a story about from when I was on the Donaldson's farm, uh, sometime back in Memorial Day, their oldest daughter, Lotus, had a shepherd's crook <laughs> that she was very happy to use, especially for guiding the chickens back into the house. I'm sorry, it was ducks, actually, that she had to guide back into the house at night. It was one of the most adorable and most excitable things I've ever seen a child go through, and I couldn't believe it. I was like, man, actually, that would have been a lot of fun when I was right? 12 or 13. Uh, yeah, that Shepherd's Crook thing is amazing. <laughs> it's really fun. But you know what else, too? Like, I really feel like when we finally got this farm, because it was a big ordeal for us to come here, and I feel mm-hmm. like when I, I got there, it, it just seemed to me very much we had been studying because we homeschool our kids. We had been studying um, the Israelites yes. journey to Canaan, to the promised land fortuitously at the same time as we were wrapping up, you know, selling our house and moving to this new house. And I kept thinking, like, this is our Canaan. You know, this is our, like, place that God has led us through the wilderness and 40 years of wandering. And here we come to the promised land. And every morning, Ken had referenced, we take a walk. Every morning, um, the two of us and the dogs and whatever kids want to join us, we just take a walk around the property. And I'm always aware that this land is God's conversation with me. So it's hard to feel like God doesn't listen to you and he's not talking to you in your prayer life when you get to walk his discussion with you. So, again, hippie. Yes, but you'd be surprised how many Benedictine or Trappist monks talk this way. It's actually amusing. (laughs) Even the ones who make beer talk this way. (laughs) They have the coolest job, I can imagine. Especially the ones who make beer. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. It sounds like this also affects a lot of your prayer life and things like that. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, well, I know for me that like I walk on, on the land and I feel like that's I can enter into a conversation with God just from being here. The other day I was taking a walk in the evening and I remember walking by the the patch that had been our vegetable garden. And I remember just stopping and feeling that gratitude that that we had this this chance to grow this food and we had this soil and I felt a connection and a responsibility to this piece of land that God's given us to steward that I felt it was my responsibility to leave it better than we found it. And I feel like even the, you know, mundane duties of my vocation as, as a woman mom are made more beautiful and therefore more bearable 
like the laundry. I hate doing the laundry. I hate it the most. But my dad built me a clothesline. And so every day I go out and hang clothes on the line. And I'm just so grateful that I'm here. And I'm so happy that I have a chance to do laundry and hang it on this line. And it just it, it imbues these tasks with a sort of spirituality that I didn't have before. Ken? Part of, you know, the one of the bigger parts of uh, how it affected me is we were reluctant to leave our old parish. We had such a nice parish at, at our old place, and we're like, we maintained. We were going to keep going back there at least once a month, you know, drive the hour back to our old uh, parish and go there. But then after going to our new parish, as different as it was, um, it lacked some things that our other parish has. It's a way smaller parish. Uh, the parishioners there are, you know, a lot older in general. So there's not as many families there as what we had at our, at our old place. But it's such a strong community here. They've reached out to us and they made us feel like, well, yeah, this is where we're supposed to be. This is where we live. This is where we need to worship. And so, yeah, reluctantly, Carrie agreed that this is, this is our new parish out here. And, you know, for the better or for worse, this is a, our new community, and this is where we're going to be with with the, with the folks that are here. I can absolutely understand all of that. Uh, to move on a little bit, uh, you guys also, on top of having you know homeschooling many many kids that I lose count of when I'm down there, <laughs> and as well as raising animals that I've also lost count of. We have two uh, on both. We don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, you guys are also running now in a, a new blog and a new podcast. Can you talk a little bit about that? The podcast, I think you had wanted to do for a long time, right, honey? Yeah. I mean, he has like a AV geek TV production background type thing. Ah. So, you know, podcasting, I think he had wanted to do for a while. I like buttons. <laughs> he likes <laughs> pressing buttons and dials and things. Um, I never liked hearing myself talk. Like on, you know, I like hearing myself talk, but not played back. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like hearing it played back. But um, after I had written my book, Pope Awesome, which is really good and you should buy it, I <laughs> was interviewed quite a bit and I, you know, heard myself talking. And once I got over that, it was fun. Like it seemed like a fun idea. And it is. It's a lot of fun. Like we hang out in the studio and it's like our date night. Yeah. And there's not a lot of homesteading blog, I mean, uh, podcasts out there. There's some, um, some are way over our heads that yeah. like speak on a scientific level, like, you know, people with horticulture degrees and, you know, wow, that's awesome for them. But just as, as folks just trying it out, I mean, we're by no means experts at, at hardly anything, but we're not afraid to try. We're not afraid to try podcasts and we're not afraid to try anything as far as the homesteading or, or the farming goes. So I mean, that's kind of what we're bringing to the table is like, eh, this is going to be, you know, you're going to learn something from it. It's going to be what to do or what not to do or how to have a really good laugh. <laughs> I understand. And it's uh, something that's interesting. You guys are, of course, doing the homesteading. I know the Stuarts are out in Texas learning to be farmers. That's Haley and Daniel Stewart, who are well-known bloggers. And I know many, many Catholics. Actually, one blogger called us the radical Catholics because we were trying to revise agrarianism, he accused us of. But it's interesting just how many out there are within Catholic circles are getting interested in owning land, cultivating farm life, and things like that. It's a revival, really, of the 19th century New England folks. And I wonder, 
What do you, as folks who are in the middle of it, what do you think is behind that? What's driving that? I know for me that part of it is went through um, a long period of, of misguided compassion that, um, like I was a vegetarian for what, like 20 years? Yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah, like 20 years. And I was a vegetarian because, you know, it was wrong. It was morally wrong to eat meat. Um, you know, and animals were just as important as people. And, you know, during my new age time, you know, Mother Earth demanded more respect, blah, 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 blah. And then when I converted, I had like a, a period of overcorrection, which I, I guess lots of converts and reverts have. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, all that stuff had absolutely no use. There was nothing useful I could mine from that. And then as I sort of like settled down and, you know, swung back to like a more middle ground type thing, I realized that. It, it is important to take care of the earth because creation is God's creation and he gave it to us to take care of. And not so much, I mean, it is important to be mindful of animal welfare because again, they're God's creation. They're not ours, they're God's and we need to steward them properly in a way that shows reverence towards God. But I think that also when you, you know, peel back the layers of, of big food and, you know, agricultural corporations, like I said before, you see a lot of abuses on human workers and on the dignity of humans and sort of trying to plug back into our local community, I think is part of that, a sort of mindful, you know, where did this food come from? How were the workers treated? Were they doused with chemicals while they were working? Did they make, you know, a living wage? Things like that, that, you know, you start realizing when you look at like big corporate farms there are a lot of human rights abuses going on. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that uh, brought me into it, I remember a long time ago, you know, when um, maybe in the, the late 80s, early 90s, Earth Day was a really, really big thing. And it all brought it back yes. to, you know, what can you act, <laughs> act locally? What can you do? One little small step. And this is kind of like the, uh, the, the culmination of that for me. So what can we do? Just this little small thing. Well, the small thing just happens to be this is something we can do. We can buy a farm. We can source all of our own, you know, vegetables or at least try to the best we can. Um, we can take a lot less stuff to the landfill because we're I, we have to haul it to the dump ourselves by where we're at. So I know exactly what we're recycling, what we're throwing away, what we're reusing around here, what I can fix and, you know, repurpose for something else. So these are all little small things. Now, it's not for everybody, but there is a lot of stuff yes. that we do here that someone can do on a very small scale. I mean, I used to be able to grow a really mean, you know, sheet of green grass. You know? <laughs> and it was like, okay, I'm pretty good at that. Well, what else can I do with my talents? You know, yeah, I can build a raised bed and I can, you know, plant some sunflowers in there or I can plant some onions in there. Okay, that didn't work out so well, but learn from it. But it's all about what little things can you do. You know, if you got a, a small plot, throw in a, a fruit tree and have some fruit. <laughs> and you might not be able to farm anything at all. You might live in an apartment and have like not even a balcony that you can grow yeah, anything. Grow some sprouts. But you could, <laughs> yeah. But most communities have some sort of farmers market or they have CSAs where you can go and meet the people who are growing food and form relationships with them that way. That's something that. Yeah, it's all about what you can do. What little piece can you do? It might even be, you know, what instead of having. Oh, fast food lunch today. Let me go around the corner and have a sandwich from the local guy. As one of those apartment dwelling folks who cannot grow anything, uh, or if I was growing things, it would be in the closet and would probably the equipment to buy would get the police called on me. <laughs> so, 
I'm going to edit that out. Um, <laughs> Grow a beard. <laughs> <laughs> the yeast of which I will use for beer, as I've learned. They're cousins. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, they're all part of the same uh, plant family. Yes, exactly. <laughs> what was I saying? Oh, yeah, that's the local <laughs> thing is even though trying to do the local thing, like keep things local is an especially hard task. And I can't imagine what you guys have to go through. And that's leading my next question. You homeschool kids, you obviously you both work to some capacity. What does a typical day look like then also throwing a farm into your life? Well, we, <laughs> because Ken works um, second shift. So he doesn't have a nine to five, which is both a blessing and a curse. It's nice that our mornings are very leisurely. Like there's, there's no getting up to alarm clocks. We don't have to rush to get kids on a bus. We don't have to, you know, rush to get out the door on time. So that's nice. Well, they're leisurely by normal standards, I guess. Well, we get up when we want to get up. Yeah, but so, after that, after it is that, a storm of activity. So we get up, and then we have to take the dogs for a walk. Otherwise, the dogs are unruly all day. And we go into two goats. feeding two goats. Three ducks. Three ducks. 30 chickens. Well, no, we're down to 28 chickens. 28 chickens. 28 chickens. Changing all the water for all of them. Right. Changing you know, the water. Letting them out of their coops. Cleaning out the barn, uh, turning over the, the bedding, things like that. Looking yeah. for any eggs that our ducks may feel like it. Fix any new holes in the fence. Fix any new holes in the fence. <laughs> yeah, there's always something. <laughs> there's always some new thing. Um, so we we tend to the animals, and then um, when it was the summer, we would do some sort of project. Either we would cut down some trees, or we built. Um, this summer, we built a vegetable garden. That's like what did we figure it was? It's a forty-five by forty-five square foot uh, square fenced-in garden. Right, which we did the fence. It's all by hand. Um, and then we're building the raised beds for it. Yes. So in the morning, we do some sort of uh, project. We might have to take the garbage to the dump. And then he goes to work, and then we do school. And then we do afternoon chores, and then we eat, and then we fall out dead. Oh, then we have to put the animals up. Yep. We have to put the, which is, you know, another 15 minutes. And then we fall out dead. We read out loud. We're reading uh, Harry read Potter right now. Yeah. And we come home and then depending on whether or not we have podcasts to edit, we edit podcasts. Yeah. If we have The Walking Dead to watch, we'll watch The Walking Dead. Right. That's a that's the biggest key is we you know, we don't have uh, over the air television anymore. I haven't had it for over a decade. And awesome. And so <clears throat> if you just think about in your typical lives how much time you spend watching TV, even if it's just an hour a day or two hours a day. That's 14 hours a week. Now you've just reclaimed it like we have done. Mm -hmm. Now that doesn't mean we don't veg out. We will watch Netflix shows, you know, and, um, we're on a Diablo kick yeah, right now. We'll, so we'll binge watch them. Yeah. We'll, we'll play some video games from some time to time. We, we can blow off some time, but for us blowing off time is like, wow, we just sat down for an hour. What are we doing? Right. And we'll get back up. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't used to be the case back in, you know, suburbia. It would, that would be four or five hours and be like, oh, I guess I should stumble to bed because it's late. <laughs> okay. Uh, the final question for you folks as we are here running out of time. If somebody's looking at this, if somebody's thinking to themselves, yeah, you know what? Living in it, well, there's people like me out there who always dream of starting oh, having some land and writing poetry all day, but that's my dream, not reality. But for folks who are thinking about buying land and farming, what advice would you give to them? Ooh, I don't know, man, because – some of the advice I would 
give, we didn't do. <laughs> it, it took us a long time to, to actually do it. We've been trying to move to a farm for what we would we figure out. It eight was eight years. years that we've been trying to do it between when we lived in Memphis, just things not working out and, you know, not being able to find the place to move in Connecticut and looking around and not finding the right place and right. things falling under. Um, one of the biggest things that just, I don't know what, like the biggest factor, I mean, you want flat land, we, but we didn't really get that here. We have some it's nice flat-ish. open space. Yeah. It's flattish, but I think my thing is have a vision. Don't be scared to dream big and look at the potential of the land, not necessarily what's there. I mean, you can build structures, mm-hmm. you can put up fences, but you can't change things like, you know, the, the layout of the land. I mean, is it all, I mean, you can even cut down trees, I right. guess, but you know, is it all swamp? You, you probably are not going to be draining the swamp. People frown on that nowadays, yeah. you know, <laughs> is it all forested? Because people also frown on just clear cutting anymore, <laughs> but you know, just have a vision and dream big and look at that piece of land imaginatively. I think that's that's helpful. Very good. Thank you both so much for coming on here. I can't wait to see you guys, of course, when the next time I can make my one of my trips down to the farm. I'm a guest on Ken and Carrie's podcast that you can listen to in a couple weeks. And to all our listeners out there, if you want to learn more, they have the Ghost Fawn podcast and the Ghost Fawn uh, blog that are online as well as the Facebook page. You can also find Carrie writing at Clay Donaldson and at Catholic Exchange, and we'll put all those links up on the show notes. But thanks, Ken and Carrie, so much for dropping by and telling us a little bit about what goes on on a crazy farm like what you guys have. Thanks for having us, Michael. Our pleasure. 